Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. everyone. This is Chelsea and I'm back. Surprise. I know I had said that I was ending the season and I wasn't going to be talking for a while, but I came up with a plan to talk to some people who will be joining me on my podcast from time to time. And hopefully you're able to get as much out of it as I think I will as well. And this week, my first uh, guest is Alicia Carson. And thank you so much, Alicia, for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, Alicia, if you don't mind, would you um, tell us just a little bit about your background, um, why you are in this recovery world and um, how it relates to you and um, what what your place in this whole thing is? Um. Well, my realm of this world is my father is an alcoholic, has always been an alcoholic since as long as I can remember, he's drank endless amounts. Um, There was times where we like couldn't even afford to pay the rent because he'd spent all of the money for rent and he begged the landlord to give him labor jobs so that he could pay rent, things like that. Um, and I couldn't participate in sports that I want to participate in because we couldn't afford for me to participate in them. So like it became like, Oh, if we want a leash on the team, then someone's going to, we're going to have to pay for her to play. So other parents would pay for us to play sports most of the time, or I would start donating my time to pay back basically. Um, the wages that it costs for me to play. So I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So how old were you? Do you think is your earliest memory of when you first realized there was a problem? Um, pretty young. I would say around eight or nine years old, I started realizing um, that, I wasn't allowed to do things that a lot of other kids were allowed to do. They were going to the movies every weekend. I couldn't go because my mom said we couldn't afford it. And then, you know, being a kid, you don't understand. So you just like keep crying and you say, why, why, why? And, you know, my mom just finally like broke down and was like, because your dad spent all the money and we don't even have money to pay rent, let alone have groceries for the week. So no, you can't go to the movies. And from there, I think, my mom kind of started unloading a lot of that stuff onto me. So I became very aware of what was going on really quick and, you know, was trying to figure out how I could help my mom basically in this Mm -hmm. whole thing. And that was kind of where my childhood I feel ended and where I felt the burden of 
my mom sustaining and trying to figure out how we can live because I remember living in motels when I was younger too because we couldn't have a house we couldn't have a place to live that was our own we were living with other people a lot of the times too mm-hmm. yeah and do you have brothers and sisters or are you an only uh, child? no I have a sister that's two years younger than me and then my mo- when my parents divorced my mom remarried and I have a half sister that's 15. and it sounds like your mom and maybe your dad would bring you into the adult problems of what's going on in the marriage and issues with support and all of that. Did they do it with you and your siblings or just uh, you? As far as I know, just me, because a lot of this, my my two-year younger sister that has been through a lot of this with me doesn't didn't realize a lot of the things that were going on until later in life where I was explaining like, this is why this was like this. Like, this is why you could go to the movies and I couldn't because mom could only afford for you to go and not me. And because I knew what was going on, I said, let you go. You know what I mean? Like, so, Yeah. Did you feel like you had to take care of your, your sister? For sure. I, I feel like I spent a lot of time raising my sister because my mom's had to spend a lot of time babysitting my dad and making sure he was actually going to work every day because he would quit a job and not tell her. And then he would be home and she wouldn't know. He'd pretend he went to work, come home later when she went to work and would be at the house, you know, and then one day my mom would come home Mm -hmm. early from work and find him at the house. And, you know, it turns out he hasn't had a job in like two weeks. Right. And did anything change once she got, you know, divorced and then remarried? Did your situation change much or was it still an issue of your dad needing money and coming to your family for the money? No, it became more hostility of like your mother's the reason why I can't see you guys. And it wasn't that it was the court order for him to go to some sort of rehab program in order to see us Mm -hmm. and he put it he completely like blocked that out of his mind and his thing was your mom is keeping me from you that's the reason i can't see you um and it was probably supervised visitation that he had um actually at that point my sister and i didn't want to see him at all um we chose not to see him and I finally had a conversation with him on the phone and was like this is what we want not what mom wants you know type thing um Mm -hmm. but yeah at that point we didn't want anything to really do with him because it was just so much chaos um to be around him and so if you um well, first, how are you coping now? How are you getting along? Is it still interfering with with things in your life now? Or have you found a way to deal with it that you can live your life normal? Um, I definitely have a lot of trust issues, um, for sure. I mean, a lot of times my mom would, you know take up for my dad and in the things he did as far as like physical and and verbal abuse um Mm -hmm. she would kind of try to play it off like oh he's joking oh he's you know blowing off steam he doesn't mean what he says or he doesn't mean when he does things like I don't know and anything would set him off like we would just 
be being kids and roughhousing and playing and he would just come in from the garage like zero to a thousand and just like running at you to where you know you better run and you know Mm -hmm. I remember one instance where my sister and I both ran into the bedroom and locked the door and my sister was trying to find a place to hide and I was trying to barricade the door and he punched a hole through the door and screamed I'm gonna effing kill you and so do you still have nightmares about these not things? Necessarily or nightmares, have- thankfully, but, you know, just certain things trigger it. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like a PTSD. Like, if I hear a loud noise that I don't recognize, I almost, like, jump. And I'm, like, I'm in defense. I'm ready to, like, fight or flight at that moment. Have you found anything to make you feel safe now in order to not... Ha- you know, to work through some of the feel safe enough where you could start working through some of that PTSD. Yeah, actually, I'm actually the best I've been since I've met my wife. Um, she's kind of the first person in my life that I can trust a thousand percent and is never, you know, I could tell I could tell her everything that I couldn't tell everyone else. And she mm-hmm. never judged me and I was kind of the same with her um, with like her baggage and stuff because, you know, she has her own issues with her dad. And I feel like we kind of um, have a bonding moment in that as in, you know, we both don't have, we have dads that are alive, but we don't have dads that are present in our lives or really care to be present in our lives. And do you notice that because you have similar backgrounds with dads like that, that there are certain things that she might do accidentally that triggered you and vice versa just because you both were in kind of that environment? Um, no, I wouldn't, I would say actually, no, I think because our situation, situations and circumstances were so like different. Um, her dad mm-hmm. just didn't want to be in her life. Um, once he found out she was around, um, he has multiple kids from multiple people that he really doesn't associate with. Um, and so her dad has really never been in her life. So that's something she's like longed for. And with me, I'm more of a situation where my dad has been in my life and it's been chaotic and, and not a good thing. So, I feel like because the experiences are different, we have completely different, um, I guess, like triggers per se. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you had the ability, what would you tell your 10 year old self now um, that you've learned or, or for your 10 year old self to be able to cope with and deal with what you were going through at that age? I know at that age I had, I remember crying myself to sleep a lot of nights, just feeling like I just wanted to be loved, you know, and to feel like I'm loved and not a burden that someone has to take care of and can't necessarily take care of. Um, And then it gets better and you do find love Mm -hmm. and you find someone that does love you. But yeah, and you're not so alone for sure. 
having to take care of my younger sister and dealing with everything that was going on, it just, it just felt like I was doing for everyone else and no one really saw me. Mm-hmm. I was the one that no That's one had isolating. to worry about technically. You know what I mean? Like I could take yeah. care of myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what, what are the lessons that you've learned um, since then in order to keep your boundaries? You know, we've talked about you, um, cutting off contact uh, with your dad. Are there any other things that you do with maybe everyday life with other people to keep your boundaries, to keep um, in, in ways to make sure that you feel safe and protected, so to speak? Yeah. Um, I try not to... I've had a long time of learning this because I used to be very, very guarded. And um, Mm -hmm. I just had to forgive my dad. Like, you have to forgive that person no matter what they've done to you. Because if you can't forgive them, you can't let go of what they did to you. You can't let go. You're tied to that person forever. That baggage just weighs you down and you feel like you're in a rabbit hole that you can't get out of. And once I realized like I could just forgive him and I don't necessarily have to tell him that I don't have to advertise it, but like in my heart and my, my being, I have forgiven him. And it's It really is. is. It felt like a thousand pounds Mm -hmm. is lifted off. And I feel like this is why, you know, I'm able to talk about it a little bit more and, and, Anytime I figured out that somebody, like before um, I opened up, I used to feel kind of like skittish around people that I found out were like recovering or, you know, like, because I'm, I'm a chef, I work in the kitchen world. And that Mm -hmm. a lot of times is, is the misfits of the world, basically, where, you know, a lot of them have done and been involved in rehab and you know our addicts and stuff and I feel like being in that has kind of opened up a different side of me to be able to see more of just what I saw you know I get to see the other side of like someone who's actually wanting to be better and do better and you know um just make their lives more complete for them and and everything going on around them like that that I love and that I'm like I will hire you know and I've actually worked under an executive sous chef who you know is is two years into his recovery and I love him to death I love him like a brother and you know I just keep cheering him on and we don't work together anymore, but I reach out to him all the time, make sure he's doing well, you know, and if he's Mm -hmm. not doing well, you know, I try to get with him and, you know, make sure, have you gone to meetings? Have you done what you need to do to keep going, you know, and. And and what do you think about meetings? Have you gone to Al-Anon? I have not. Um, I have not gone to Al-Anon. He's actually been talking to me about Al-Anon and trying to get me to go. Um, I just haven't decided 
yet. I mean, I've done some like therapy and things like that, um, talking to therapists and okay. things like that. But um, and I'm not here to say one way or the sure. other. I mean, everyone has different expen- experiences. I know for me, it was a mixed bag of going to Narnon and Al-Anon. Um, and um, I think there's things you can get out of it, but I also think that um, at some point it becomes overwhelming as well. Yeah. So it, it's just what's good for you and, and what works for you. But being in that world, um, one of my episodes, I talk about um, working in the restaurant business because it is a cash business and it tends to attract a lot of addicts and things like that because they can get right. cash and it's not necessarily healthy for them. Um, but if they're in recovery, that's so awesome. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, the restaurant industry isn't so much cash based anymore. Um uh, mm-hmm. they don't really pay people to work under the table as much anymore. Like everything's by the books because we have a lot more regulation. I feel like there's a lot more health department coming in all the time, like checking everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to have certifications and all of that in order to work with the food. So if they have to have that, then they have to, you know, be on the books per se. And, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, thankfully, the only cash that's going in hand is like servers daily cash intake. But yeah, back okay. of house, not as accessible. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. And I had thought about that and I was wondering how it had affected because I don't my only dealings with um, the restaurant business as far as understanding what's going on in the back of the house is is when my daughter was a server for years and that's when she was an addict and for sure it's always a problem yeah servers yeah they get the cash for sure servers are the ones that get the cash Mm -hmm. the back of the house are usually all on the books and getting right um how do you think that um growing up in this manner has affected your ability to form relationships um in the beginning it was very hard um I feel like when I I feel like I didn't have any close friends growing up because I felt like I couldn't trust anyone. If I couldn't trust my my family to, you know, have my back all the time and, you know, be present and be there, then, you know, how can I trust someone else? So I kept a lot of stuff to the chest growing up and didn't share very much and I I remember in school, I had a breakdown in health class. Um, the teacher was talking about coping mechanisms because we were talking about like some psychology stuff and whatnot. And um, she was talking about coping mechanisms. And for some reason, she pointed me out and she said, what is your favorite coping mechanism when you're stressed out and can't handle anything? And I just froze and I was like, I just froze and I didn't have an answer because I didn't have a coping mechanism. And so she kind of pushed me to answer and I said, I don't have one. And she goes, what do you mean you don't have one? And I just broke down into tears in the middle of class. And she just pulled me into the office and just kind of like told the class to like watch a movie or something. She did something to occupy them for a minute. And she pulled me aside and had a 
a conversation and that was the first person I've ever told outside of Mm. my family what was going on. And she must have had an idea. Yeah. I feel like she had to know something was up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate your time here. Um, if, is there something that you'd love to get out there, something that you would have loved to have known 10 years ago that, you, that you've learned along the way that you, you just want to let everyone know that here's what you've learned in this whole process? I've learned that there is no perfect person. There is no person who you know, has gone through life and has never had an issue. Everyone's life, everyone's path is different. Some are a little bumpier than others. But I mean, as long as you, you know, strap in and hold tight and keep sight of, you know, what you want and your trajectory, like, and you, and you find people who love and support you, you know, the sky's the limit, no matter how low you get you can always elevate. Nice. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been a great episode and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater.